I'll take you back in time. A long time ago for me, and a long time ago probably for most people, I guess. It was December 16th, 1981. I got into New London, Connecticut at about 3, 3.15 in the morning. And Reveille was at 6, which was 3 o'clock in the morning my time because I was coming from San Diego. <laughs> it was um, my first real adventure with travel in the Navy. And I wish I had time to tell you the whole story of the flight from San Diego to, to, to New York to, to Groton, but... Maybe that's for another day, a day where we're talking about something different, I suppose. There I started submarine school. Submarine school was a wonderful time for me, and it really was. Number one, with the exception of high school, where I didn't really try, I didn't really apply myself, school has always been fairly simple for me. It's not, it's, I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that. It's just I'm a quick learner with things, and particularly when tests are uh, multiple choice, I tend to do pretty good at. It wasn't a academic challenge. It was an emotional challenge, and it was a physical challenge. We had to do things in submarine school that were physically challenging with the pressure tanks and the escape trunks, and I was there in the dead of winter, and all those kinds of things add up after a while, and it's like, well, you know. But the biggest challenge for me was emotional. I remember the day that we were in class, and we knew it was coming. And I don't, I remember it being about three quarters of the way through, where the instruction for the day is just set aside. Whatever system we were talking about, you know, tanks, electrical subs, whatever. It was just sort of put aside. And certainly for the entire morning of that day's instruction, we talked about two things, USS Thresher and the USS Scorpion. I have no memory of direct quotes about any of it, but I know what I was led to believe and what for 37 years as a United States Navy submariner I have believed. And those things were taken as gospel for most of us in the submarine fleet. Okay, there's always the there's always the conspiracy theory, there's always the off-ball thing, there's always something weird, but certain things were taken as gospel fact. And one of those was that the loss of the USS Thresher on April 10th, 1963, the first nuclear submarine to be sunk was caused by a failure of a silver brazed pipe joint which led to uncontrollable flooding at test depth and the ship died because they couldn't secure the flooding and they couldn't blow the ballast tanks because of a problem with the screens over the there weren't screens the, the the ballast tanks were freezing up and you know just a, just a chain of errors a, a chain of bad luck not even really errors in all of this and this was a gospel truth to me this was something that i wouldn't have argued with you for a hundred dollars i know there are people who, dave did you 
You didn't know the Russian sank her? Well, that was a scorpion, dude. Well, no, it was the Thresher. You didn't know that there were you didn't know that there were seals on board on a secret mission? A hundred miles off Boston? You know, when you're dealing with conspiracy theories, you're dealing with people who want attention. And they want to take attention away from what you should be paying to. The Thresher was a major, was an, it was an incredible submarine. The original Thresher, the World War II boat, SS-200, survived World War II. A fairly successful boat. She was actually one of the pre-war fleet boats. She was not a Gato class or a Baleo class or even a Tench class. She was, she was a pre-war class. And she served very, very well during the Second World War. Actually survived it. But as you can see, if you're watching the video, she is not a true submarine in the sense that she's more surface ship. You can see she has got surface ship lines with that clipper bow, the, the deck wash go back. She's designed to run fast on the surface and quiet underwater slowly. The World War II submarines at the end of World War II, of course, were modified by the snorkels and by the streamlining of the submarine as best they could. But it wasn't until the first, well, it was the second generation of atomic submarines that came along, the Skipjack class, that really became actual submarines. The Nautilus, the Sea Dragons, those, they, they had nuclear reactors and the like, but they were still shaped basically the same way. When the Skipjacks came along, these things have the teardrop shape hull with just the sail sticking out of it. They have the fair water planes. And by all accounts, these boats were hot rods. They were sports cars. I've talked to people that have sailed on these. And indeed, the very first submarine I ever set foot on was the USS Scamp. She was one of the boats of this class, and I fell in love with her that day. These boats were small. They're, they're actually shorter than the original uh, thresher was they're fast powerful and they basically fly underwater but they had a couple of problems one of which was they were not made with modern steels that were steel s-t-e-e-l uh, that were processed the way hy-80 steel is or hy-120 steel is they were made from hy-50 steel which wasn't as strong so they were depth limited they couldn't go very deep but boy were they fast and they could fly the skipjacks were, like I said, this is a picture comparing one of those fleet boats like the original Thresher to her. You can see she's shorter. You can see she's about as wide. But, you know, they're, they're small. They're tiny. They're fast, but they're small. It was clear that this second generation of submarines, the first real submarines in in American history anyway, needed to be upgraded and needed to be replaced. And so along came the Thresher class in the early 1960s, late 1950s, early 1960s. The Thresher class were much bigger, much uh, about equally fast. Different control surfaces. You can see the Fairwater planes on the sail are much higher. Uh, there were some lessons that they had learned. And they were made with new steel and theoretically could dive much deeper. I will not tell you what that depth was. But it was significantly more than the skipjacks could go. They were built entirely around the sonar dome. 
They were meant to be hunter-killer submarines, and everything on that boat was designed to enhance their ability to hear in the ocean. They were quieter. They, were, they had better sensors. The torpedo tubes had been moved back amidships and pointed outwards at angles instead of in the bow. They were, they were really designed to, to kill other submarines. They were fast. They were maneuverable. They were deep diving. And indeed, they had a lot of fun with that deep dive. I've done this myself. This is what we call angles and dangles. Where the ship, you can't tell because you're looking at it straight on. But the ship is taking about a 30, maybe, maybe almost 40 degree up angle or down angle, actually, at this point. And you can see the crew is kind of leaning back to try to stay up straight. The guy with the tie back by the picture in the door is the commanding officer of the submarine, the USS Thrasher. He was in command for about a year before Thrasher was lost. He had some concerns about the submarine. He had some concerns about what was going on, and this was a brand new thing. This had never been done before. This ship was so new and so hot that they really didn't even know what it could do. I don't know if it's true or not, because I did not serve on a Los Angeles-class fast attack boat, but I'm told the first, the LA, the USS Los Angeles, had similar experiences, particularly when it came to ship handling. Uh, the, these, these boats were fast enough to do what we call a snap roll, which is where uh, you're, you're going straight, zzz, boat's going straight, and you want to turn. So you want to turn to the port side. And so what will happen is the boat will actually roll out like a normal ship would, and then snap over like an airplane and really whip around. Well, the problem is if you're too maneuverable, you end up on your side. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't. I, I heard it from one guy way back when who said uh, that the LA had a little problem with that first snap roll. And uh, fortunately, the planesmen were paying attention and figured it out real quick. But as a general rule of thumb, anytime you have a new boat like the, like the Thresher was, you're going to learn some things that are unique about how that's that class of submarine handles and more importantly how that particular boat handles but there was one particular thing that really bothered the commanding officer as he was talking about this the he was concerned about flooding he, he said the thresher was the best asw submarine afloat today anti-submarine warfare but that it was overly complicated in, two, in, in many areas. Difficult to handle on or near the surface. That goes back to those planes being up so high on the fair waters. The idea was probably okay, but it didn't work. Um, and you'll notice that today's submarines, they have bow planes again because it's much, much better. But number three was concerned about the vulnerability of auxiliary seawater systems. These are seawater; th these are systems that are full of seawater. They are exposed to sea pressure. They would then be flowing through pipes that had silver brazed joints in them. And then he stated, "In my opinion, the most dangerous condition that exists in Thresher is the danger of saltwater flooding while at at or near test depth. Test depth being 
significantly, as we talked about, deeper than the skipjack class, way deeper than the than the original Thresher, and still a closely held number. I'm not going to tell you. You can probably go look it up on Wikipedia, and you can believe them if you want or not. Doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to tell you. Trust me, it's deep enough. Now, the advantage of going deep in a submarine is the, the deeper you go, the more compression there is of sea pressure on the hull, and the quieter your propeller actually becomes. Your, your propeller won't cavitate nearly as much at deep depths as it will at shallow depths at the same speed. So there's advantages to deep diving. This is why the Russians spent so much money on the Alpha-class submarines that were, you know, 40-knot-plus submarines and could dive to 3,000 feet and the likes of that. The other problem that the Thresher had was unknown. And see, this is where I start to get creeped out by this whole thing. The Thresher was bigger, significantly bigger than the Skipjacks. But maybe it was a cost-saving measure. Maybe nobody thought about it. No, maybe nobody, you know, nobody's to blame. It was just a design. We had a system that worked on the skipjacks, a ballast tank blow system that worked. And we put the same exact system on the threshers. All of them. Well, up until 1964, anyway. We put the same ones on there, including the USS Thresher. The Thresher was at least 30% bigger and needed more deballasting system than, than, the thresh, than the skipjacks had. But by design, had the same one. Think about that for just a minute. It was noted that the high-pressure air system of the Thresher-class submarine was designed so that in the event of loss of electrical power to the ballast control panel, that's where the chief of the watch sets, Air banks two, three, and four would automatically be shut off. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But the the bigger pressure is the the, the all the seawater system hull and stop valves and the thresher could not be remotely operated at two system se- separate stations, and there was no specific requirement for this for this uh, capability. In other words, there's no backup systems. The ballast tank deballasting system is is at least at least thirty percent under capacity what it needs to be and if you read that top one there if we lose electrical power we can't even open the ballast tanks the the blow the the air systems for the for the ballast tanks now for years we've been told that what happened was that the ship got down to a round test depth and one of those silver brazed pipes burst in the engine room and that this flooding scrammed the reactor plant shut it down loss of propulsion which is death i mean i still remember the day in submarine school where we talked about operating envelopes for speed versus whatever the other thing you need to keep in mind about submarines is we don't normally blow ballast tanks to get to the surface we normally drive the ship up using propulsion because propulsion is stronger, quicker, faster, better. We blow if we need to. Throw the chicken switches and blow, but hey, we hope we don't need to do that. Thresher was basically dead in the water at test depth. And of course, the gospel is that the water was coming in and these guys were trying to fight this 
casually. They were trying to stop and isolate the flooding. And what you don't understand is that flooding at depth like that, at great depth like that, even the smallest hole in the in the in a pipe. I mean, microscope the hole the size of that pinhead is spitting out water that's at unbelievable pressure. Forty four pounds per hundred feet is the formula. And believe me, they were way deeper than 100 feet. Where that water's coming in, it almost atomizes instantaneously. We were taught to use a broom to try to find the leak because that water's going to cut your hand off if you stick it in front of it. Not that it would matter at that point, but get it, get it isolated, get it, get it found. And even the smallest of leaks is what brought Thresher down. And it may have been where nobody knows. And this was all based on a piece of pipe that they recovered in the aftermath of the tragedy. This past week, the Navy was sued. Well, they were sued last year, but this past week, they released the first tranche, T-R-A-N-C-H-E, of documents related to the Court of Inquiry for the loss of Thresher. After the typical sailor nonsense over the word tranche, which we've all decided is a great word and well used, but too highfalutin for us. <laughs> That's basically what they told uh, the Navy. It's a good word, but let's, you know, let's, you know we're, not, we're not French, so let's, uh, let's drop that word down a little bit. They released 300 pages of documents, which are problematic. Because it turns out that what we've been allowed to believe, and again, nobody ever told me, I don't ever remember being told that it was unisolatable flooding. I remember that from two, from two things. One, there's a documentary about it. But number two, the piping tabs that I was reading during my qualification process talked about the fact that Thresher had been uh, shock tested they dropped depth charges on her to see what shake her up real good see what would break what wouldn't break what would hold what wouldn't hold she was brand new by the way and that one of the problems that they had had was quote unisolatable flooding so it sort of made sense didn't it get down to test depth something breaks if the reactor scrams in that era number one there was no procedure to restart it quickly and number two, in another design issue, the main steam valves would close automatically to save steam instead of sending steam to the turbines to drive the propellers. Propeller, because it's a single propeller. All these things, looking back at them, steam valves closing, no, no fast start procedure, a ballast system that's not really designed for this class of ship or to even go anywhere near test depth, a unisolatable flooding from, from issues, you know, in the shock testing, all this stuff seems now in retrospect, like dots going together in a fire control solution. And you're going, damn, how did we not see this? And we didn't. And Thresher went to the bottom. But our precious little gospel truth about this flooding thing has been shown to be wrong. It didn't happen. 
it was a combination of all these design problems that nobody had really ironed out yet. Nobody had really figured out yet. The ballast tank system, when you, th- when you threw the chicken switches, okay, to de-ballast the ship as quickly as you can, well, the air coming out of those, va- those flasks, what happens when you take high-pressure air and you let it low- go to low pressure real quick through a small hole? <laughs> Especially when it's cold out, because, you know, believe me, a test depth that's cold. It freezes. It froze. It would. It happened at on the surface when they tried it with a with a test blow on the surface. It froze. There was too much moisture in the in the air systems that 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 got compressed into those tanks, and it would freeze. So they couldn't get the air from the banks to the tanks. Not to mention the fact that it turns out that through a long process that is way too complicated to try to explain here, but. Whatever happened when they were at test depth, they lost the reactor. It scrammed. It was an electrical failure. This is not unheard of. I mean, my electricity went out the other day for about an hour. Your electricity has probably gone out, especially if you live in California, rolling blackouts. Things happen, folks. Sometimes new systems don't work the way they're supposed to. Sometimes they break. Sometimes it's simple and sometimes it's not, but it scrammed the reactor plant and there's no way to start it up again quickly. And the steam valve shut, there's no way to get steam to the propulsion at test depth. The ship was probably trimmed down because the compression of the ocean, probably heavy, but she'd been going to test depth. And literally... For about five minutes, five, six minutes, they tried everything in the world to get that reactor restarted, I guess. Nobody was there. Nobody knows what happens. I can't imagine these guys standing around going, procedure says we can't do that. I can't imagine that. I imagine that they were pulling out every, every root of hair they had trying to figure out how to get that thing re-going, how to get steam to the engines again, because otherwise they were sinking slowly sinking somewhere around 400 to 600 feet below some believe as much as 900 feet below their designated test depth and well past the predicted collapse depth the ship imploded we're told that it took place from the time the ship was solid to the time it was gone was less than a tenth of a second. Imagine that. And we're told that that is too fast for human comprehension. You can't even conceive. Your mind, these 129 guys never knew what hit them, is what we're told. And see, we've believed that for 37 years. I believed that. But now I know that they knew that they were sinking, and they knew that they couldn't get that thing restarted. (laughs) What then? It's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night, and it's the kind of thing that worries me because my own ship, brand new as she was, 1986, wasn't brand new at that point, she was about four years old, discovered a design flaw one night, a des- something no one had thought about, something nobody had considered, something nobody had foreseen in all our years of submarining since Thresher was lost and Scorpion was lost and all, all those years of learning. Nobody had considered it. 
and it caused an explosion. Thank God it didn't cause a fire. But it blew out our PLO system and basically left us crippled without propulsion. And two things came into play with that. Number one, Trident submarines, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, I didn't design them, tend to be light in the water. They tend to, they tend to float up. They, they don't like to, you have to drive a Trident down. You cannot, you can't just blow the ballast, open the ballast tanks and go, and just down. No, you literally have to, you literally have to drive them under. And so they tend to come, they tend to pop up like a cork anyway. That was the first thing. And the second thing was we weren't anywhere near test depth. <laughs> we were, we were not very deep at all. Thank goodness. When we lost propulsion. And I wonder about those lessons, and I wonder about, I often wonder about those 129 guys. Now that I know that they knew what was about to happen to them, now that I know that they weren't busy fighting a, a, a casually, when you're in the middle of fighting casually, you're not thinking about anything else. You're thinking about, we got to get this stuff, we got to get this stuff, we got to get this fire out, we got to get this flooding stuff, we got to get whatever it is. That's what you're thinking about. You're not thinking about, crap, we're sinking. But now I know better. And believe me, it's kept me awake for more than a few nights since that first tranche of documents came out. What we're learning now is that the guy that Bruce Rule, who had the the crazy theory that there was no flooding, was right. And that the Navy has basically had all the information to know that since 1963. They knew it then. But for whatever reason, they let us all believe whatever we wanted to believe, mostly that they went down fighting. They went down trying to stop flooding. It's those damn yard birds. They didn't do a good job. That's why you can't trust them. Except that there were yard birds on that boat that day. It wasn't that they screwed up the, the brazing. It wasn't any of that. And for 57 years, we've let people believe that. For 57 years, we've blamed them for the loss of the Thresher, and it wasn't them at all. How is that fair to them? For 57 years, we've believed something that was not true. Because the Navy, I don't know, they didn't tell us it wasn't true. They just didn't tell us what was. They didn't tell me that, I can tell you that. And today... At Arlington National Cemetery, there is a memorial to the men of the Thresher because there's no no bodies to bury. And there are days, my friends, when I think about, you know, we were talking the other day about, you ever do things in your life that you wonder how you made it back, you wonder how you're still alive? Every day I get up now and my body aches and my bones creak and my knees pop and my head hurts and trip and fall on everything all I can think is could have been a lot worse could have been a lot worse maybe we learned some lessons maybe we didn't I know this I know the ocean's always trying to kill you and if you let it it will <laughs>